We've been away for a few weeks, as some of you know, some of you who have been away. I was talking to Glenn, he said, oh, have you been away? Well, Glenn and Dan have been away for eight weeks, and today is their anniversary, 57. I can't wait till I'm 57. <laughs> I'm lying. Let me tell you, we are really, really delighted to be back. We had a great time. We were three weeks in the States. We had planned when we moved here to go back because we live with our kids and our, and our granddaughters the year before we moved here, and they were really heartbroken that we were leaving for good. They thought we were going to take a couple-week trip to Australia and then come back. And uh, when they found out that we weren't coming back, they were heartbroken, which is nice, but not nice. So we had booked, when we, when we first arrived here, we had planned to, to go back. And so thank you. Uh, we had a great time. Good, some good ministry time, but mostly great time with our family. But the biggest thing was that God just confirmed that this is the right place, the right time. We just love being here. We're glad that we're back. Uh, thank you. Love what God's doing. Love the team that we're doing it with. Appreciate the guys who preached the last few weeks. I realize that, you know, that we, we uh, record the audio, but we don't record the worship or we don't record any words afterwards. I heard that there was an incredible uh, moving of God last week. I mean, it was a really great sermon that I, that I heard, but I missed all the other parts. So Steve did a great job, as did Kate, who's with the kids, and Tim. No, you had your time. <laughs> No, I just wanted to send love and greetings from Redemption City Church in Denver, Colorado, and also from Westside Church in California. We have the privilege of being in both of those churches, and they've both had a huge impact in seeing this church planted. So um, one church sent us out. We were on the pastoral team there. Um, but they also sent finances, and they have prayed for us regularly. And so they were just thrilled to hear what Jesus is doing here, and they'll continue to pray for us. And also the church in California, they actually offered us a, a position there before we heard God about coming here, and it was very tempting. <laughs> it's a big church, but honestly, we just know that we know that the Lord has called us to be here. And so we're thankful for them. It was good for us to go back and realize this is yeah. home now. You know, we still love everyone there, and they love us, and you'll probably get to meet quite a few of them in the days ahead, but they just send their love and greetings. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to uh, Acts chapter 4. One of the things we've been doing over the last number of months is just building foundational values. What do we see? One of our foundational values is fully word and fully spirit. But I want to talk about our number one foundational value eventually. But you know, someone once said that being prophetic, being a prophetic people, is not just someone prophesying once in a while, but it's actually hearing what God's saying about the future and then preparing to become that. It's faith that says God's saying this and we're preparing to become that. So we don't get there when God's doing something and say, ah, we're behind because we haven't actually prepared. Uh, 
And so there is something of preparing. We're going to talk a bit more about that in the weeks to come. But I want to just reiterate something very clear today. And it's, imagine that, it's about Jesus. <laughs> During uh, the Activate class that uh, finishes today, uh, we were probably, this, I don't know if it was the second or the third one, uh, we were actually just waiting on God to, to speak something to us. And I felt God say to me that there, in the city of Launceston, there's a spirit of competition. Now, that's nothing earth-shattering because that's the basic value of our culture is competition. We just, there's a pressure in everything in our culture to identify with something as opposed to something else, Right? We, we, you guys all know that. Whether it's identifying with an ethnic group or a nation. You ever watch the, the Olympics? I found it was amazing uh, having come from the States and watched the, uh, the Winter Olympics when we got here in Australia. That uh, what we saw on the TV here was only Australians. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Now, it never dawned on me when I lived in the States that all we saw was Americans. But we did. But it just hit me that, okay, it becomes about identifying with our nation, not with the excellence in sport. It's only the excellence in sport if our nation wins. But we're pressured to identify with our state as opposed to other states, or a political party as opposed to another political party, or even a sport team. <laughs> Says the people from West Australia. I mean, which is, which is fine, but how many people, that becomes their identity. But see, it creeps into the church, and we are pressured to identify with a denomination or even a church. And that in our culture, when it creeps into the church, not just in the church, but everywhere, it leads to what I call institutional thinking. Institutional thinking is when my identity gets tied up in whatever organization, whether it's a team. If my team wins, I'm happy. And if my team loses, I hit depression. It's a game. It's made up. I'm not against sports. I love sports. But see, when the institution or the organization becomes my identity, I then identify with that. I'm an Anglican. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Pentecostal. And our identity gets tied up with something. And there's something that creeps in that if the organization is successful, however you define successful, then I'm successful. If my team wins, then I have some sort of credit sitting up in the stands, not, not playing, but somehow, because I tend to choose that team to back, I have some sort of credit. In a church, it often becomes about church growth. If the church grows, then I must be a good pastor. And I get some sort of credit for that. But not only do we identify with the organization, but then there's another step 
that we become focused on guarding the organization over the individual. We all know that from the uh, Royal Commission on Sexual Abuse. With the, part of the issue, I mean, it was horrendous what's happened, but part of the issue was that many people chose to cover up what was happening to protect the name of the organization. Right? Yeah. Organizational thinking. We don't want the, the organization to look bad. Years ago, I was uh, leading a church in Melbourne, Australia. We met with some other churches, and we had a, a church that we met with, and the, guy was, the pastor was talking to me about one of the issues that they face in their church is that uh, he had some older people who wanted him to go out front and stop all the people who were smoking cigarettes out front because it gave the church a bad name. And I thought, we want people to find Jesus, <laughs> which we're going to get to. But the third thing that happens in, in institutional thinking is that we want to advance the organization. And it hit me when I was in the States, is that in, in advancing the organization, we get so focused on that, whatever is good for that organization se seems to be good. The ends justify the the end justifies the means. And you see that in politics. Having been in the States for the last few weeks, they would just out and out lie if it advances their party. The end justifies the means. But in the church, as crazy as this is, we get into these marketing schemes, ideas. We end up marketing the church. People talk about branding and DNA. I heard that in the States and I went, shouldn't the church have Jesus DNA? Should be, but, but it comes down to we have to imp put our DNA on something. And then seems like for many churches, there is a franchising that takes place. Rather than planting churches, we start sites that we can control. I'm not against sites. I'm, to me, it's, good. it's neither good nor bad, except that when it's an attempt to grow an organization rather than to advance the kingdom. So all that background, while I was in the States, when we first went to the States, we flew into L.A., and then I went to northern Washington State where my parents live. Mary went on to Denver to be with our kids and our grandkids. And while I was at my parents, my uh, mom is 93. My dad's 94. They have a five-acre property that they maintain pretty much. It, it, except, yeah, except for when I come there, I, I get to do all the hard work. I keep telling my mom, I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> she, she hasn't quite got that. She will listen to this. Mom, I'm not 20. But did some work there. But one night I had a dream. And in the dream, there was a bunch of leaders, Christian leaders, got together to pray. And we had this agreement that as we walked into the place where we were praying, we would leave our name at the door. Whether it was the name of our denomination or the name of our church or the name of our ministry, 
that we want it to be about Jesus, one name. And it hit me how quickly we become divisive when the Bible said something different. Acts chapter 4, long introduction there, wasn't it? Acts chapter 4, verse 10, says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Not by the name of a church or a denomination or a ministry or a leader or a key anointed evangelist, but by the name of Jesus. This is a stone which you rejected, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. One name, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. From verse 10, it says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That doesn't mean a bunch of clones that's, that think the exact same way. He's talking about being united in the name of Jesus. A.W. Tozer once said, a hundred pianos tuned to the same tuning fork will be in tune with one another. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's house, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? One name. I want to state again, our number one value is that we love Jesus and that we want to honor and glorify him. We didn't come here to build a church name or a ministry. We came here to exalt Jesus. What that means is that we're not in competition with any other church. My belief is that every church that honors Jesus are allies. Some will be partners. Some will do things similar to, but just because we do something different, we don't actually worship the same way that maybe an Anglican church does. But if they honor Jesus, we're still allies in the kingdom. That doesn't mean that we're going to have to become like they are. There is something of the diversity in the body of Christ that is a wonderful thing. Unity doesn't mean we all have to think alike. Unity means we have to be focused on Jesus. So we're not in competition. So my prayer, my desire, my dream, Luke chapter 5.
from verse 4, it says this. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I love that. This doesn't make sense, but because you said it, we're going to do it. Let that be our heart. Whatever Jesus says, we're going to obey. Even if it doesn't seem to make sense. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. My dream, my desire, my prayer is that there's such a move of God in the city that so many people are getting saved that every church, we have to say, we're our partners. Come together. There are about 110,000 people in the Launceston area, according to the census I read. And just before we moved here, the census said that there were about 8% of the population are involved in a church, Christian church. So I'm going to round that to about 10,000. So of the 110, there's about 10,000 involved in church. Now, I know that not everyone who is in church is saved, and not everyone who isn't in church is not saved, but we're going to use those figures just for, for the sake of argument. So that means there's about 100,000 unsaved people. My dream is that we see 40, 50, 60,000 people get saved in this city. Not so that we have a big church, so that the kingdom of God is advanced. And I would love to see dozens of church plant, planted. I would rather see 10 churches of 1,000 than a church of 10,000. Because we're not trying to put forward a name of a church. We're trying to extend the kingdom of God. We're trying to see Jesus exalted. He's the head of the church. So, why am I saying this to you? I've been away for three weeks. I had so many things I wanted to preach. I still do. Why am I sharing this? Three things. First is I want you to hold me accountable. Because as the leader of the team, I'm probably the most susceptible to organizational thinking. And if you see that happening, stop me. Slap me upside the head. My mom prays for me every day. She says, if you ever stop preaching the word, I pray that Jesus would come and hit you up back of the head. There's a uh, TV show in the States called NCIS, and the guy in charge is Gibbs, and they give him a Gibbs. Said, I pray Jesus is going to give you a Gibbs and hit you up back. That's why she's still alive. We're wanting to lay a foundation that exalts Jesus, nothing else. Secondly, if you've come from a different background, you just need to get free. We're not trying to establish the name of a church or a ministry. We're not going to franchise. We're not going to, to market. We're going to exalt the name of Jesus. And if you've come from something different, 
See, what happens is we often have a little bit of suspicion. I've come from this background, and I expect that they're going to be like this. And pretty soon, I'm going to say something and say, see, he's trying to, to market his church. You just need to get free. Thirdly, we need to develop pathways for people to find Jesus. See, part of the prophetic, seeing the future and preparing to become the future, is that there is a number of words, prophetic words, a number of moving, that there is going to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God in this nation, like never before in history, the history of this nation. It's going to be signs and wonders, but the focus of that is people coming to Jesus. So are we willing to be equipped for that purpose? Are we willing to be a part of what God is doing for that purpose? Are we willing to let down the nets again? I want to ask you to, to pray with us. I think... The next phase that we face as a church is developing pathways for people to come to Jesus. How do we do that? I think the reason we did activate is because we want to see something of the supernatural, but not just so that we have people who manifest the, the manifestation of the Spirit as we gather, but that we impact the world around us, that there's prophetic words, that there's words of knowledge, there's words of wisdom where Jesus shows up and people see that Jesus is alive. We're going to talk in the days ahead. How do we help someone become a follower of Jesus? For years, I ignored that part because I was a teacher. I'm not an evangelist, so that doesn't apply to me. Some of you know that I shared a few weeks ago that God got a hold of me and said that the foundational ministry of every believer is the advancing of the kingdom, preaching the gospel. Before preaching, before teaching, before church planting, before prophesying, it's to advance the kingdom by preaching the kingdom of God. Would you pray with us about how we do that? I came with a great strategy We've been involved in church planning. Came with a great strategy how we're going to do that here. And uh, the first day on the ground, God just kind of threw it all away and said that what he's doing here isn't what he's done somewhere else. That we live by hearing his voice. And so we had, I had lunch early on with this guy sitting over here, Steve. First time I'd actually spent any time with him. And he was sharing with me about how he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And while we're having lunch, I felt the Holy Spirit say, have him preach. That doesn't fit our pattern. We have to know their character. We've got to get to know people before we give them any kind of platform. And the Holy Spirit said, have him preach. That, that was a real mistake. No. <laughs> Erase that part from the tape. No. <laughs> Obviously, Jesus knew what he was talking about. 
And then these guys came and had been teaching a class on the manifestations of the Spirit. Hadn't been here long. And the Holy Spirit said, let them do that. This guy had a prophetic word. I asked him to share something. came one morning early because he thought I'd take him in the back room and, and hear every part of it and talk to him about it. And I went, ah, here's the mic. Why am I saying that? God's plan isn't always ours. Prophetic means hearing what he's doing, not what we've done. Most people miss what God is doing because they're so focused on what they've done in the past that they're not seeing what God is doing today. We want to be a people who hear what God's doing today and move forward with that. And part of what he's doing is focusing the church once again on Jesus. And that's our heart. Would you bow your head? Sometimes our focus gets on finding our ministry. having a place or an avenue to work in the things that excite us. And that's wonderful. We want to do that. But before we do any of that, we want our focus to be on Jesus. I just want to ask you, if your focus has gotten someplace else, would you just make that adjustment? We're going to move into a season of equipping for what God's saying he's doing. But before we do that, I wanted to reiterate again, our focus is that we love Jesus. He's the one we worship. He's the head of the church. It's his church, it's not our church. He's the one who redeems us. He's the one who sets us free. He's the one who heals us. He's the one who gives us the privilege of partnering with him to advance his kingdom. However we do that. If your focus has gotten on something else, just want to give you a chance, make the adjustment. <coughs> Mary's word this morning that God's heart is for arrows going into the darkest places. Whether it's in our city or whether it's other nations. Some of you, God's going to actually send you to the nations. Some of you, there is, you know there's something percolating on your life. Some of you are going to plant churches and lead churches. Some of you are going to impact arenas that we haven't even thought of. Not because you're something special, but because Jesus is something special. And he can use any of us if we make ourselves available. But our focus has got to remain on him. I know I'm speaking to the, uh, the converted. But I just want to make that statement as we go forward. And give you an opportunity I was surprised when I was in the States 
how many people's focus has got on their organization and not on Jesus, on their ministry or on their church or fulfilling the, the, the advancement of their institution rather than Jesus. When that happens, people get hurt. When that happens, we cover up sin for the sake of the reputation of the organization, which God hates. He chooses the individual over the organization. It's hard for us to grasp. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him because he's amazing. That's what we're about. Church isn't about changing your life. It's not about becoming a better person. You don't become a better person in order to meet God. You die to yourself, and he resurrects you as a new person, a new creation. If you haven't met him, we'd love to introduce you to him. We're going to finish with uh, the song that we sang. One name holds weight above them all. And let's just make it our declaration together as a church. And I'm going to ask you if I can leave you with praying about what are the pathways for introducing people to Jesus. Can you stand?